You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. The first 11 chapters of Romans are pretty much a lot of theology, so to speak. And then the last chapters, which where we're going to be in the month of March, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, really practical stuff. So we're going to take this practical things and try them live it out in our life. So first of all, first point, if we want to get along with other people, you have to love yourself. Before you can love others, you have to love yourself. James said this, James 2, verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. I think we all want to do well in our relationships. We all want to get along. So what's the key? First and foremost, love yourself. How do I love myself? That was last month's message. If I love myself, I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to change my thinking. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you'll know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. So when I begin to change my thinking, begin to think what God thinks about me, and find out who I am, my identity, Dr. Leaf called it your I factor. You find out I have a purpose. There's something for me to do. I count, I have gifts, I have abilities, and when you discover that, you also discover that you're part of a bigger picture, that it's not just about you, but it's difficult to contribute to the bigger picture if, we're so, if we are so hurting and we're toxic inside. So it really starts with, first of all, renewing my mind, renovating it, if you like, to what God thinks about me. Then we can move on to the next phase, and that's where Paul goes into talking now about understanding you're part of a bigger picture. He tells the people in verse 3, writing to the Romans, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Now, for every mile of road, two miles of ditch. In the one ditch, there's arrogance, where you think too much of yourself. It's all about you. On the other side of the road, in the other ditch, is this false humility. Oh, it's really nothing. I really don't amount to much. I don't have much, blah, blah, blah. That's another ditch. But there's a healthy view of yourself and a healthy view of others. And if we have that healthy view, we can really contribute to one another in the church setting and in our relationship. So this is where Paul's going. And I think he puts verse 2 there for a reason. Because before we can get into the rest of the chapter, it really starts, first of all, with our own thinking and getting that strong and getting that healthy. And as we learn, it's an ongoing process. We continually work on renewing our mind. Remember last week we had the example, we had a cup of Coke and we poured water into it, the water representing God's Word, and it displaced the Coke, and it displaced the darkness. And again, God's Word, continually flushing it out. In our world that we live in, we, picks up, we pick up toxic things along the way. So it's not a one-time process, went through the course, done it. No, it's ongoing. We continue, renew our mind to God's Word, and that has a direct correlation the way we get along with other people. And so that's where we're going this morning. Second point is understand that you are part of a bigger picture. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, now moving on, after talking about renewing our mind and submitting our lives to the Father, he moves on to verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all part of one body, his body. And each of us has different work to do. And since we're all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. So, would you look to your neighbor and just say to them, I really need you. (laughs) 
And some of you weren't so sure about that. You looked, I don't even know you. I'm not sure I need you. <laughs> but it's true. We really do need one another. Because when you become a Christian, and last night we had all these people that were baptized and they were sharing the difference it made in their life. When we become a Christian, we don't just come into relationship with the Father God. We come into relationship with God's family. And sometimes God's a lot easier to love than his family is to love. <laughs> and sometimes we meet God's family before we meet him. We go, oh, is this what God's like? And so that's why it's important that they know we're Christians by our love because God is love. So let's talk about how we can fit into this bigger picture. And uh, in order to do this, we're going to go through Romans chapter 12, bullet points, and I love what Paul does here. I call this a quick start guide to getting along. And I don't know if you're like me, guys, but when I uh, would buy a present, let's say for our kids at Christmas time, and you got this manual on how to put it together, sometimes they just have the quick start guide, just A, B, C, here, get it done. Or here's a picture of setting up a, a stereo system. This is what I call a quick start guide, and it just has, see, that's my idea of a manual. Plug this in, plug that in, and I don't need to know how all the television works, the speaker works. I just want to plug it in and do it. And so I like what Paul does here in Romans chapter 12. It's just bullet point form, quick start guide. Here's how you can get along with others, Christian living, and it works. And so let's get into it. Quick start guide, how to get along with others, how to make it work. Number one, out of Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where it says, Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of the good. In other words, your love for others has to be authentic. Don't fake it. We live in a downtown urban world, and we get used to it if people, or we, we get uh, an understanding, or we're aware when somebody tries to con us or fake it. We can spot that, and you go, that's not real. That's not genuine. And Paul is saying to us here, if we want to get along with others, we need to be genuine in our love. And one of the ways to do that is to not be hypocritical, is to be consistent in the way we live, no matter where we are. And that means we should hate what is evil, abhor what is evil, and cling to that which is good. That's how we're authentic. Leave and cleave is a term we sometimes use. If you leave something evil, you have to cling to something good. We, if you're raising children, it's really important to do that. Uh, because if you tell children, you, you can't do this, don't do that, don't do this, you can't watch that movie, you can't go there, you can't do that, pretty soon they just go, okay. They push back, and then there's this rebellion. You have to, you can't leave them in a void. You have to give them something else that's even better. And I'll give you an example from our own life. When we were, our children were younger, and Halloween came around, and the kids got invited to these different Halloween parties, we chose not to. We didn't want them going to Halloween parties. And uh, so we... Just to say you can't go would be like, well, why not? Instead, we said, let's go do something even better. And at that time, we were living in Saskatchewan. So we rented uh, a big hotel room at the hotel that had the best water slide in the city. And uh, we said, no, you can't go to the Halloween party. But you have to leave that, but we're going to give you something even better to cleave to. And so we rented this room. Uh, we bought a bunch of candy, and they went 
they invited their friends over, and we had a party going water sliding up and down, and we were so tired at the end of the night, and kids got up, went to school the next day, and their friends said, where did you go trick-or-treating? What did you do? Oh, we went to the hotel, and we went water slide. We got all this candy. We had a party. It was so much fun. Other kids were like, oh, I wish I could have done that. That's leave and cleave. Your teenage daughter wants to go rav. You say, no, you're not going to the rav. But uh, we're going skiing in Whistler. We're all going to go up there. He said, but that costs a lot. That's actually cheaper than rescuing your daughter out of drugs. So you can pay it on the upfront, or you can pay a lot later on the back end. So just better to, but you get the point. If you abhor something, if you leave something, you have to cleave to something else. Cling to that which is good. Now, this is an important point, because sometimes you need to develop an appetite for it. If you want to leave junk food and cling to good, let's say, vegetables, you have to almost develop an appetite for the vegetables. But after a while, you'll, I don't want to go back there because I'm clinging to that which is good. So this is the first point. Simple, powerful, love others, be authentic, don't be hypocritical. Number two, honor. If we want to get along with other people, we value, we respect, we esteem others. This is what he says in verse 10. Let your love for each other be genuine affection Take delight, delight, I delight in honoring you, I delight in valuing you, I delight in esteeming you, lifting you up, honoring. Honor means that, to respect, to esteem, to fix a value on, to recognize a person's value, to treat them accordingly. There's three ways that you can honor somebody, and the way, quote-unquote, the world does it is upside down from the way God does it. Number one, whatever a society honors is what they value. And typically, we can tell what we honor, what we value, by how much we pay for it. For example, if you can stop a puck from going into a net on a very high level, we'll honor you, and we'll pay you a lot of money to do that. Or if you can sing incredibly, play a guitar, whatever, or if you can sell something, we will pay you. That's Honoring somebody based on their performance. So typically, that's the way the world will honor you, based on your performance. And that's okay, but that's the first way the world typically honors. Secondly, we honor somebody based on their character, the way they live their life. They keep their word, they're faithful, etc. So character is number two. The third way we can honor somebody is based on intrinsic value. First one, performance. The second one, character. Those are both, both earned. You have to do that before you get honor. But the third one, intrinsic value, is given to us. God does it backwards. He first of all values you and honors you based on your intrinsic value. That is, you were made in the image of God. You are a human being. You are valuable. And guess what? Across the planet, we have all the exact same worth. Amen? We all do. And that's the first way that God honors us. Then he does it on character, and then he does it on performance. So when the Bible says we're to honor all men, the Bible says to honor a lot. It says honor God, honor husbands, honor wives, honor the marriage bed, honor parents, honor elders, honor pastors, honor the king, honor widows. But First Peter says honor all men. How can I honor all men? I don't understand what they did. Their performance stank. Their character stank. We can honor all people like God does because they all have intrinsic value. So here we love, we live out a Christian life. We start with intrinsic value. 
Okay, that's number, what was that? Number what? Number two, all right. Number three, you're still with me. That's good. Number three is we, we want to get along with people. How do we live it out? We live with passion. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never, if you like circle the word never, never be lazy in your work. And all the employers said, amen. <laughs> never be lazy in your work. Everybody likes somebody who comes to work full throttle, fully engaged. Then it says, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. When you go to work, you're not working for your boss, some customers, some uh, investors. We're actually working for the Lord. Whatever you do, do hardly for the Lord. Do it for Him. Do it with passion. Do it enthusiastically, it says. That word enthusiastically, enthusiasm, comes from a Greek word, enthos, meaning possessed by a God. Enthusiasm literally means you're possessed by a God. If you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, this might shock you this morning, you're possessed. You're, I know usually we use it in the negative light, but actually it's positive. We are possessed. We're owned by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you are not your own. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are possessed by God. So we live with his passion. How do we live a Christian life? How do we live this out? Live with passion. Live enthusiastically. Serve enthusiastically. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life more abundantly. And so we should be a reflection of that, a reflection of abundant life, a reflection of passion. If you want to lead, lead with passion. If you want to serve, serve with passion. It's contagious, highly contagious. I think it should be a reflection of us as believers that there's an enthusiasm, there's a passion about us. I heard Leon Fontaine speak this week on it, a pastor friend of ours, and he was talking about passion, and, and he stepped on my toes. Ever gone to a service and the pastor steps on your toes? Uh, I was there, and he stepped on my toes this week, and I was like, oh, oh, it kind of hurts a bit, but I was uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit because he was talking about serving with passion. He says, as much as we serve our company with passion, our church with passion, he says, you need to serve your family with passion. And he said, you know, he, said, he gave this example. For example, when your kids come home from school, how do you greet them at the door? Do you remind them that when they left, they didn't make their bed, they didn't do the dishes? I go, oh, boy, he's speaking to me right now. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And a, you know, a confession of the pastor, you know, that, I've done that. And he's speaking to me. He says, or when they come through the door, do you say, oh, man, it's so good to see you. How was your day? Or do you greet them? How come you didn't make the bed before you left for school this morning? That'll warm their hearts. <laughs> then you wonder why they don't want to hang out at home. You wonder why they want to hang out with their friends. Or you wonder why they don't want to be with you. Are they greeted with passion? And he says, and how do you do your devotions at home? Is it, okay, children, this is something I have to do as a dad. Okay, we're going to read four verses and pray. Okay, amen. <laughs> no, or is it greeted with passion? Live with passion. That's a great verse. Romans 12, 11. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Number four, Romans 12, 12. These are just, again, bullet points. He's giving you this quick start guide how to live your Christian life. Number 12, don't quit in the hard times pray through. Sometimes we say, I just got to push through this. I just push through. I'm going to get through it. Here, no, it's pray through. Pray through it. Romans 12, 12, be glad for the Lord is, for all God is planning for you. Even in hard times, God's got a plan in it. Be patient in trouble and always be prayerful. 
Aren't you glad you have a direct connection with God? You can pray 24-7 to God. And it doesn't cost you any time. You can, you can connect with God. There's this man in Southern California, and he had a huge problem in his life. He desperately needed the church, but he's not a church goer. And so he went to church. He walked in, and he met somebody there, and he says, I'm here to pray. Is there a place that I can pray? I'm in deep trouble, and I need to connect with God today. And the man says, well, you're in the right place. Absolutely. And he said, come on upstairs. We have a, we have a red phone here, and it's a direct line to God. The guy says, really? He says, wow. He says, okay, well, I really need that. And so he's heading over there. He says, but just before you, you need to know that it's $1,000 a call. And the guy says, what? A typical church. They're after my money. I heard about this. So he, he leaves. He's disgusted. He says, well, you know what? I'm not going to quit on this. I'm going to go up the coast. So he goes up the coast. He stops at another city, and he goes in. It's California again. He walks in. He says, I don't know if it's a priest, a pastor, a reverend, or whatever, an elder, a bishop, or whatever. He walks into the church, and a man meets him there, and he says, yes, I'm the bishop so-and-so. He says, I need to connect with God. I have got such a big problem I'm trying to find a church where I just can connect with God. And the bishop says, yeah, you are in the right place because we have a special phone, and we can allow you to use that. He says, oh, okay. So he goes upstairs. He says, there at the end of the hall, it's that red phone, and that's a direct line to God. The guy says, okay. And the bishop says, but it's $1,000. He goes, oh, great. I've heard this before. So he storms out mad leaves. He goes up to Portland, Oregon, walks into the church there, and uh, he meets another leader, pastor, whatever it was, and he says, I need to connect with God. You know what's going to happen, right? He leads him to a red phone, $1,000. And this pastor, he's a little bit more sales-oriented. He says, you know, we have PayPal, we have Visa, we take a man express, you can check, cash, any way you want. It doesn't matter. We will, we're here to serve you. And I said, right. He's so disgusted, leaves, tries one more time in Seattle. He's making his way up, looking for a place to connect with God. So he crosses the border, comes into Vancouver, and he walks into a church here, and I won't mention which one. He walks into a church, <laughs> and he Yes, the pastor there, he says, I need to connect with God. I'm so tired of these churches. And every time I go, it's, you know, I need your money. What? Said, no problem. We have a phone right here. It's a red phone. It's a direct line to God. And he looks and says, yeah, how much does it cost? The pastor says, oh, there's no cost for it. He goes, why? Local call. <laughs> <laughs> you know you live in God's country. <laughs> you live in Vancouver. <laughs> but... <laughs> All kidding aside, aren't you glad you can pray at all times? You never have to pay a fee. You do for your cable. You do for your internet connection. You know, you sign up for your phone package, and it's like, okay, how many? You, I, I, if I'm traveling, I'm watching, okay, how, many, how much data plan did I use? Oh, I better not text. I better not get on the internet because I'm going to use up my data plan. You cannot use up all of God's data plan. You just can't. Man, you, you missed a good place to shout. I mean, that, was, <laughs> that is good news. You can call God, pray always. Don't worry about using up your data plan. It's wide open, all been paid for by our Lord. Number five, live generously. Bullet point forms on how we can live out our Christian life, get along with others, live generous. Jesus said it's it's true. It's better to give than it is to receive. When God's children are in need, be the one. You be the one to help them out. And get into the habit. 
habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. The habit of inviting people over for something to eat. Guess what? We could practice that, church. We could actually do this. This is doable Christian living. Invite somebody over for a meal. Now, it might not work this Sunday because you want to get things ready for next Sunday or during the week, but invite somebody over. It doesn't say invite them over to the restaurant. No, it says invite them to your home. Because there's a difference if you go to the restaurant or if you go to your home. If I go to the restaurant, it's good. That's cool. But if I go to your home, it's a whole nother level. Would you agree? Because I see what you're like. I see how you decorated your home. I see the way you prepared your food. It's another level of love to invite me into your home. I've really entered your world. That's why we love life groups. Life groups primarily are hosted in homes. And there's something about the intimacy of living out our Christian life in home. This is, this is basic Christianity where we're hospitable in our homes, even having somebody stay the night if need be. Their time was a little different, no hotels, sketchy hotels at best, so they needed it more. Okay. Live generously. I like what Rick Warren had to say about this. He said, there's a lie that you see on the TV that says, happiness can be purchased, life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. If I can get just a certain thing, then I'll be happy. We get more and more. If that were true, obviously the people with the most would be the most happy, but that's just not true, is it? You make a living by what you get. Let me say that again. You make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. Every time I give, it breaks what I call the Saddleback Syndrome, which says, or we could call it the Vancouver Syndrome, which says, I've got to have more. It's the only antidote I know to materialism. When the world says more, giving says give away. It breaks the grip of materialism. Paul said to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, and that's all of us if we live in America or Canada, we're rich compared to the rest of the world, command them not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He goes on to say, it's not wrong to enjoy nice things. The Bible says God says it's okay to enjoy. It gives us, he gives us everything for our enjoyment. But he does not make us prosper simply so we can spend it all on ourselves. He says, command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We can miss it even as Christians if we don't live a life of generosity. And notice Paul said to Timothy, it wasn't a suggestion. He's commanding them to be generous. So, folks, we're commanded to be generous and to help others. So that was number five. Number six, bullet point forms, quick start, Christian living, bless, don't curse. If you want to get along with others, personal relationship, you bless and don't curse. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless comes from the same word that we get the word eulogy from. Have you ever been to a funeral and somebody stands up and says, okay, now I am going to read the eulogy of John Smith. John Smith was a wonderful man. John Smith was a family man. John Smith was this. John, And it's all good, right? The eulogy, uh, even if the guy was a twit, you still talk really good about him at his funeral. I mean, you just, a eulogy is just, you eulogize somebody, you speak well, you bless them. 
That's what this word is here. Eulogize them. Speak well of them. You want to get along with other people? Speak well about them. Don't curse. Don't curse them and don't curse, literally. One of the signs of a believer is that you can control your tongue. If you can't control your tongue, it just shows that the Lord is not in control of your life because the most unruly member of your body, James says in the book of James, is your tongue. It's the hardest thing to control is our tongue. And the Bible exhorts us to control our tongue. And some of us work in environments where it's harder because we hear a lot of words and they kind of drift up when we hit our thumb with a hammer or something or something happens. But no matter what, we are challenged to control our tongue and the language should reflect an untoxic mind. Amen? A pure heart. Again, you can see why Paul starts this chapter with renew your mind. Because in order to do this, to live it out, it starts with healthy thinking. So to get along with others, we bless and don't curse. Number five, share the joy and pain of others. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you know, you, I don't know if you find it this way, I find it this way, that it's easier to weep with those who weep than rejoice with those who rejoice. If somebody's had a hard time, it's almost easier to identify that. But to rejoice with somebody, that can be harder. For example, you both apply for the same job. And they get the job, and you don't. And you think you're more qualified. And they come, oh, I'm so excited, I got the job. And you go, yeah, yeah. I'm so excited too. <laughs> now, i got to ask you, is that genuine? Did you genuinely rejoice, or was it faked? Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. You have to love genuinely. I genu yes, I am happy for you. I know God's got something for me. That comes from a renewed mind and a pure heart. Or another example, you're both single, two guys or two girls, let's say, two women, believing for a boyfriend. And one gets a boyfriend and the other one does, oh, I am so in love, oh, yeah, oh, I haven't seen you for a month, where have you been? i got a boyfriend, oh, and you go, there's not a lot of rejoicing, a little bit of jealousy you're fighting, but this is Christian living. This is getting along with others. You know what? I'm glad you met him. I'm sure he's going to be the right guy for you. I'm praying that it works out, and I'm cheering you on. To say that sincerely has to start with a clear thinking. Amen? If there's jealousy and bitterness and toxic thoughts, you cannot love clearly unless it starts here. So, again, living out our Christian life. Number eight is don't be stuck up. That's about as plain as you can make it, isn't it? Romans 12, 16, get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Do you know we can practice that in church today? Don't be stuck up. Well, I'm a teenager. I don't talk to people that are older. That's being stuck up. <laughs> Just call it what it is. That's being stuck up. I'm older. I have gray hair. I don't talk to teens. That's being stuck up. Well, they're a different race. That's being stuck up. Or maybe worse, racist. Or they... I, I live in West Van. They live in somewhere else. Or... <laughs> I live in... I'm from the east side, and they're from the west side. Let's not have that stinking thinking here, okay? We are one. Amen? We're one. And so let's not be stuck up. Let's, 
And I don't think we have that issue here, but we do need to address it and make sure that it stays outside our church. Amen? Don't be stuck up. Number nine, be... <laughs> it's so powerful to break down those walls and just say, no, we're going to live a higher life, a higher way, higher thoughts. Be a peacemaker. Don't pay back evil. Never, it says, you can circle that, never pay back evil for evil to anyone, no matter what they did, no matter how they hurt you, no matter who it was, never pay back evil to anyone. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, yeah, preach. <laughs> Number 10, don't take revenge. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, if he's hungry, just tell him it's tough luck, buddy. <laughs> you did it. You deserve it. No, it doesn't say that. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Four. Now, here's kind of a weird verse, okay? You got to... Because this, at first, will not make sense to us. Look at this. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In other words, if he's your enemy, help him out. But then this verse goes on to say, For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> okay, so if you hurt me, and I'm going to go do good to you, and then God's going to dump the barbecue on your head. <laughs> like, okay, I would like tilt, tilt. Like, what in the world does that mean? But there was a custom at that time, and they write about it was in Egypt and different parts of that world, that if somebody was done well to, and they recognized that they had been a jerk, done, they said they're ashamed for what they did, they would carry a pan of coals on their head to represent that they were sorry, they were ashamed, they were penitent, they were saying, I, I have to change. So in you doing good to those who've hurt you, they kind of wake up and say, I'm so ashamed, I, that was, I'm so saddened by what I did. That's what it's referring to, most theologians believe, in this verse. So that helps us uh, to get it right. Martin Luther King said this, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Hate is a very heavy burden. And then lastly, number 11, it says here, overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to close with a story this morning about a guy by the name of uh, Grover Norwood, he had a little daughter named Joy, and he had a, a son. His daughter was four, his, daughter was, his son was eight, and his wife had taken the two kids to t-ball practice. They went to t-ball practice, and they were leaving, coming home, and little Joy said, Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. If you have kids, sometimes they just can't wait. And she said, okay, I'll pull over the side of the road. She was driving down the road, but there was no shoulder on this side of the road, rural Texas. And so she went to the other side of the road, and there was a place there under trees, some grass and so forth, so the little girl could get out. Well, when she crossed over, the little girl got out of the van, and she kind of thought she, the ditch would be on this side, so she walked out into traffic. And this little four-year-old girl was hit by a pickup truck, and the truck sped off. She went, of course, and grabbed her little girl. The little girl died in her arms. Now, her husband heard about it, and he was, uh, this girl was the apple of his eye. He loved his little four-year-old daughter like any man would just love their daughter. He loved this. It was, she was everything to him. 
And for three days, they did not know who was the hit-and-run driver. And then the police found him, tracked him down, called Grover and said, we have found, we know who it is, hit your daughter. But you also know this man. The man who had hit his daughter was a man he'd befriended. He was white. The man who hit his daughter was black. They lived in a very segregated area there in Texas. He was wealthy. They were poor. But he reached out to them, and they became very good friends. It was an unusual friendship in that city, or that little town. But yet, it was this man who had hit his daughter. He didn't know it. In Texas, there's armadillos. There's all kinds of stuff that run across the road. And it was a little girl he didn't even realize. And he was so gripped with grief. Shortly after, the police called. The man's wife called. Mrs. Parker called and said, I heard that my husband had hit your little joy. We are so devastated. One hour after Grover got that phone call, within one hour, do you know where that man was whose little daughter was killed? He was at his friend's house. He said to his brother, he must be hurting so terribly. We must go to see him. I must go help him. He left his house, went to this man's house who had killed his daughter, and he met him there. He hugged him. He prayed for him as he grieved over the loss of the one he loved. He did all the things that we just read about in this chapter. But he went over and above that. He said, you have to come to the funeral. It's a family funeral, but you need to be there. I know you don't have much. I'll buy you a new suit of clothes. You'll sit on the front bench with us. And that, out of that tragedy, came such change. People often ask the question, why does bad things happen to good people? Maybe we need to rephrase it. When bad things happen to good people. Take the why out of it, because we often don't know the why, but we can do something with it if we live like this. I'm going to show you a little clip from that story, The Heart of Texas, and then we're going to close. The day before the funeral, with all the chaos that in, is involved in a situation like this, the phones ringing, people coming by, uh, things to do, decisions to make, tears to shed, prayers to pray, detectives to talk to. Grover thought about Mrs. Parker and he called her up and asked her if she had a dress to wear to the funeral. Uh, Grove went over and uh, bought clothes for them to wear to the funeral. He just did incredible things that uh, just continued to confirm the forgiveness and the heart that was working in this, this place. I didn't understand it at first, and I just, uh, still don't know I don't, that I would ever be able to be that forgiving. I mean, I don't know how anybody, that's just incredible to me. When you'll sit back and you'll think about all the things that you'll do for your children in, in this world, it's not what I'll do for my kids, but you know, what wouldn't I do? But I don't know what I could do knowing that you know, somebody that's that close to me has taken something that's so precious to me. People were beginning to find out about 
the fact that it was Mr. Parker, because some people still didn't know. Um, they knew who he was in the community, but people didn't realize the relationship that Grove and Jill had with the Parkers. You know, he was just so good. He was just so good to us. You know, he, he was really good. So uh, <clears throat> they had the feud and everything. And his brother and his family, they came and picked us up and took us to the feud. And it was, it was not. You know, and we just still love it. And he still loved us. What moved me at the fume, it was the love. And I heard that love covers a multitude of faults, but I saw love cover every fault that they at the fume. I remember, um, uh, at Joy's funeral, Grover walking in, holding hands with Mr. Parker. And that was a picture that nobody will ever forget. The craziest thing to me about that day was that Grove insisted when they pulled up in the cars and the tent was there, the casket was already laying on the, on the stand over the gravesite, he insisted that Jill be on one side of him with Graham and that Mr. Parker be seated on the front row next to him. Now the front row, as you know, is reserved for family. They made Brother Parker part of the family. That was awesome. I never seen a family come together like they did. I never have. I'm almost 58. I have never seen that in my lifetime to purchase clothing for them, and then to have them seated beside them was beyond anything anybody at that service had ever seen. He didn't sit over here, he, you know, he was sitting with the family. Only God can do that, only God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 